men. Friends, the world around us tells us that our identity is found in all kinds of different things. The world tells us that our identity is found in who our parents are or what our past is or that our identity is found in our title or how much money we have or don't have or how much we earn or that our identity is found in what we desire or who we are attracted to or whatever we decide that our identity is today and we can decide that it's different tomorrow. That's what the world around us tells us. But today we are going to be starting our series of 1 Peter, and we're going to see that our identity is not found in any of those things, but our identity is found in Jesus. And this is the most important part of our identity that we have, because who we are in Jesus impacts every other part of our lives. It impacts how we parent. It impacts how we spouse. It impacts how we work. It impacts how we have relationships with other people. It impacts everything that we are and everything that we do as followers of Jesus. Now, each week as we start this study of 1 Peter, is going to build on this foundation that we are laying here today. And we're going to see over the next number of weeks this summer how God is building us into his people, into his church. He has chosen us to be set apart, and it begins by being set apart by Jesus. And this is the only part of our identity that matters. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the letter of 1 Peter, if you're looking for it, it's uh, near the back of your Bible. Um, comes right after uh, James and right before Second Peter. And uh, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Go back the other way. It's on the right side of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We'd love to give you a copy as a gift um, from us. Please take one. We'd love to have, for you to have a copy of God's Word for you to read on your own. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 here in just a minute. And as you're turning there, I want you to listen to what E.J. Goodspeed wrote about 1 Peter. He said, 1 Peter is one of the most moving pieces of persecution literature. And even today, 1 Peter still captivates our hearts, and it speaks life into our faith. Today, as we start 1 Peter, we're going to learn a little bit about not only about Peter, but also about the people that he was writing to and some of the things that they were facing. So if you would, read along with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany. Let's pause there for just a moment, okay? So we see here that Peter who was one of Jesus' apostles, is writing to these churches that are scattered all throughout these different areas in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, in Asia, and in Bithany. Now, these people, they weren't exiles living in this country because this wasn't their own country. But Peter calls them exiles anyway. This was the place that they most likely were born in. This was their home country. And yet Peter calls them exiles. 
Now, most likely they were natives of these regions, but as we're going to see in the weeks to come, they were exiles because not only are they citizens of that area, but now because they are following Jesus, they have become citizens of heaven. They have dual citizenship. And friends, so do we. Give you a little background of this area and this time. Most scholars put Peter's first letter here being written pretty early on in church history, most likely around 67 AD. This would have been just a few years after Jesus had started the church that we just finished studying about in Acts chapter 2. This would have been just a few years past that. Most likely it was written to natives uh, of this area of what we would call modern-day Turkey. They had been led and were following Jesus and had started these churches. Now I want to put your minds kind of in the time and the place that this letter is being written to. Let me take you back just a few years before this letter was written. It's July 18th of 64 AD. And on that night, the place is Rome. Nero is the king. A fire begins to break out in the city of Rome. This fire was probably much similar to the the great fire that took place in Chicago in 1912 where it burned the entire city. Most of Rome had been burned. It was made of mostly wooden structures, and within just a few days, most of the entire city had been burned to the ground. Now, we have mixed reports about how the fire actually started. The Roman historian Tacitus had some ideas about who started the fire, but there was no question about who got blamed for this fire being burned. Tacitus, he writes this. He says, Neither human assistance in the shape of imperial gifts nor the attempts to appease the gods could remove the sinister reports that the fire was due to Nero's own orders. That was the rumor that was going around Rome. And so, in hope, Tacitus continues, In dispensing the rumors, he falsely diverted the charges to a set of people to whom the vulgar gave the name Christians and who were detested for the abominations uh, that they perpetrated in the name of their founder, Christos, who had been executed by Pontius Pilate in the region of Tiberias, And the dangerous superstitions that put them down for the moment broke out again, not only in Judea, the original home of these pests, but even in Rome, where everything shameful and horrible collects and is practiced. Tacitus, this historian, had no love for Christians, but he had no love for for Nero either. And even Tacitus didn't believe that the ones who were, were accused of doing this crime were at fault. You see, followers of Jesus were accused of setting fire to Rome, but even Tacitus knew that they weren't. But nonetheless, the blame fell on them, those who followed Jesus, and those who were living in this Roman territory. They faced jail, they faced enslavement, and they faced even death. You see, after Peter wrote this letter, it would just be three years before the Colosseum was finished in 70 A.D., And many of these people whom Peter wrote this letter to maybe even made their way there and faced death by lions and gladiators simply for following Jesus. 
These are the people who Peter writes to. They were following Jesus, and they were daily facing death because of their faith in Jesus. And Peter, he writes to them out of his love and his concern for them. He writes to encourage them in the face of suffering and the face of dangers that they were going through for their faith. He writes so that they would hold fast to the faith. So Peter writes this first letter out of his love for these people who were experiencing times of trouble. And these times would only go, get from, go from bad to worse. These people were under fire for their faith. And so Peter continues. Look again at verse 1. It says, To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the, the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So again, these people were exiles, not because they were living in some foreign land. They were exiles because God had called them out of their old lives and into a new life that was being sanctified, not because they worked really hard, but was being sanctified by the Holy Spirit because they had been made clean by the blood of Jesus and they were being sanctified to be obedient to Jesus. And then Peter continues in verse three and he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is God who had saved these people. It was God who had caused these people to be born again, not into a dead hope, but into a living hope that was made available to them through the resurrection of Jesus. Peter says, look, you guys are who you are, not because of who your parents are. You guys are who you are, not because of where you were born, not even your nationality. It's not because of the color of your skin. It's not because about your past. It's not about the way that you feel. It's not even about the attractions that you have or don't have. Peter says your identity is about whose you are in Jesus. You are born again through the resurrection of Jesus to a living hope that is only through the mercy of God. Friends, your identity is found in Jesus and not yourself. And this is so critical for us to hear today. Our identity is found in Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, look for yourself and you will find loneliness, despair, and decay. And yet that's what the world tells us to do, right? The world tells us, go and find yourself. <laughs> Lewis says that when we do, we'll find loneliness, despair, and decay. I'm thankful that Lewis didn't stop there. He says, but look for Christ and you'll find him and with him everything else. Friends, our identity is found in Jesus. 
Our identity is found in the work that Jesus has done to bring us salvation. We have been given through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and our identity is found in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the foundation for our faith. This is the foundation for our identity in Jesus. And friends, if we don't find our identity in Jesus, then everything else will be off. It would be like us going to a pawn shop or a resale shop and us finding this bowl that was there and we had an eye for value that's found in junk, right? And so we see that even those bowls there and it's being used just to hold some flowers that is dirty and it's cracked, we see that it's actually a, a, a precious piece of porcelain. We see the potential that's in this bowl and so we buy it. We take it and we, we clean it up inside and out and we fix the crack and then we take it from not just holding flowers, you know, but now we take this thing and we give it to its right purpose and we put it up in a place of honor and maybe we put some ornamental eggs in it or something of value. We understand and see the value in this, this pot that was broken and, and used just to, to hold something worthless in. Now, let's say the original owner comes back to the shop and said, man, I got some flowers. I need my old bowl back <laughs> to hold those flowers in. And maybe the shop owner uh, turns them to you and, and says, hey, this guy bought it over here. You should go check him out. And he comes to you and says, hey, I want my, my, my bowl back. I, I got some flowers that I need to hold. And you would say, hold on. No, I, I bought this. I, I've paid for this. I saw the value in this. I, I cleansed it. I, I cleaned it out inside and out. I fixed the cracks. And now I am, I'm giving it the purpose that it was initially meant for and is being held in a place of honor once again. And, and you would probably be offended because they didn't see the value in this bowl that you did. You see, the good news for us is that we, like the bowl, even though we're dirty and cracked, even though we've been used for all kinds of other purposes that we were not made for. And the Bible calls those sin. Make no mistake about it, sin has owned us. It has been our master. But Jesus has come. He has bought us with the ultimate price of his life. He has cleansed us inside and out. He has fixed our cracks. And then he has given us new purpose. The purpose that we originally were created for. Now, friends, some of you, you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and so you haven't had your identity changed. And maybe you've been searching for your identity in all kinds of other things, and your master, sin, has told you that you're worthless, and that you're broken, and that nobody would ever want to use you. But Jesus has come and paid the price for you. He has come to buy you and to cleanse you and to fix you and to give you new purpose. So for some of you today, you need to come and repent of your sins and meet Jesus in baptism so that you can be born again into this living hope that Peter discusses. Now, for those of us who already have, we must constantly remind ourselves of these truths that Peter has told us. 
We need to constantly remind ourselves of whose we are and the price that he has paid to buy us and to fix us and to cleanse us. Because the world around us is constantly, constantly telling us that our identity is found in all these other things. And so we must constantly remind ourselves of whose we are. That with Jesus, he is our new owner. And that he has given us a new identity and a new purpose. We must be constantly reminded because often our previous owner of sin shows back up and tries to take back over our lives. And sadly, far too often we allow him to. But friends, you have been bought. You have been cleansed. You have been fixed. And you have been given new purpose. Your identity is in Jesus and what he has done to and for us. Not what we used to be used for. And Peter tells us here that the results of this new identity that's found in Jesus, he tells us what these results are in verse 4. Look, he says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last times. Friends, the result of our new identity that is found in Jesus is a living hope. It is an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. John tells us in the opening of his gospel, this inheritance comes to all who believe in Jesus. It comes to us and makes us be born of God. We become children of God. And when we become children of God through Jesus, we receive this inheritance from him, one that is imperishable, one that will never perish, one that is undefiled, that, that won't ever spoil, one that will never fade away. And this inheritance we are sealed for by the Holy Spirit. For this inheritance is what is to come. And it's held, shielded, by God in heaven. Not that we have received this inheritance yet, but we hope, we anticipate, we long for it. And it is protected by God. Peter was not saying that God is saving us from our current troubles or sorrows or pains or sufferings. Surely not for these believers that he was writing to in modern day Turkey who will go on to face death daily for following Jesus. But he's saying that the hope they hold on to will enable them through the Holy Spirit to have peace, even in the midst of those sufferings. Our hope is not in our difficulties or in our situations, or our current circumstances. Our hope is not in our past and what we used to be used for. Our hope is in our new owner, in Jesus. Our identity is found in Him. 
He has given us new purpose. And we are given by Him a new life and a life to come. Look at verse 6. Peter continues and says, In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you have been made to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, in glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says here that even though even though our hope isn't in the sufferings that we now are going through, we can greatly rejoice in them. Now remember what these people were facing. They were facing persecutions, trials, sufferings, and even death for following Jesus. And and, and Peter says, you can greatly rejoice in them. Peter's starting to sound a lot like James and Paul here, isn't he? Peter tells us to rejoice in your new hope that is in Jesus, even in the face of trials and even in the face of sufferings that you are now in. We can greatly rejoice despite these trials and these hardships and these sufferings because these sufferings will be proof, will show evidence to the faith that we have that is found in Jesus. This is what faith produces. Faith produces worship. Faith produces worship. As Peter says here, faith produces, the results are praise and glory and honor. That that is worship. Worship is simply our response to who Jesus is. To Jesus being revealed to us, our response is to give praise and honor and glory to God, is for us to worship God. When Jesus and what He has done and who He is is revealed and we realize who He is and what He's done, our response is to worship God, even in the face of suffering, even in the face of death. And worship to God isn't just something that we do one day a week. It becomes part of our everyday lives. A.W. Tozer said that true worship, worship that is pleasing to God, radiates through a person's entire life. You see, we have tried to define worship as simply what we do on Sunday mornings and the songs that we sing, but It's not how the Bible defines worship. Worship in the Bible is defined as everything that we do in response to who Jesus is and what he has done. As Tozer says, true worship should radiate through every part of our life, our entire life. Here at Journey Church, we put it this way. We say that we want to live lives that are pleasing to God. We want to live lives that are in worship to God. And that doesn't mean that we just go around the street singing all the time, right? Um, maybe we do, but, but that, not, that's not all of what worship is. What that means is that every day 
We are joyfully giving God the best of everything that we are and everything that we have, that we are trusting that Jesus is all that we need and we are being transformed by who he is and what he's done. You see, our worship, our response to Jesus isn't something that we do just in an hour a week, but it should be a part in every part of our life. Everything that we should, everything that we do should be in worship to God, giving Him the best of everything that we are and everything that we have. Worship that is pleasing to God. Worship that is responding to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Worship that is responding to this new identity that we have in him. This new birth and this living hope that we have is us giving God everything that we are and everything that we have every single day. It's giving praise and honor and glory to God because he has paid the price to buy us. And the price has been the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And he has cleansed us, not only from our sins once, but continuously. And we praise him and we give him honor and we give him praise because daily through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is transforming us. He is sanctifying us. He is repairing us. He has given us this new identity into this new living hope. And we worship God with our lives in response to who Jesus is and what he has done. We are daily being transformed to live lives that are living in worship to God. We rejoice greatly even if we have to suffer. We rejoice greatly even if our circumstances are falling apart. We rejoice greatly because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. God's Spirit transforms us. He sanctifies us. The results of our faith in Jesus is daily worship to God in everything that we are, everything that we have, every day. This is our response to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And then Peter defines for us what faith in Jesus actually looks like. Look at verse 8. Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The result of our faith is worship with every part of our lives, every single day. But faith itself is us loving Jesus, even though we have not seen Jesus. Faith is believing in Jesus, even though we have not seen him. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Remember what Peter told us, that our hope is in this living hope and the assurance of what we do not see. It is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of what, or what is, excuse me, what is seen 
was not made out of what is visible. And then the rest of chapter 11 of Hebrews goes on to show us how people responded in faith with obedience in worship, even in the face of suffering. It is through faith, though we have not seen Jesus, that we trust in Jesus. Though we have not seen Jesus, we love Jesus. Though we have not seen Jesus, we believe in Jesus. And the result of our faith is worship to God with our entire lives every single day. It's our obedience to him. And again, the rest of chapter 11 of Hebrews gives us example of people after people who by faith obey God and by faith worship God through their obedience, even facing hardships, sufferings, and trials, and even death. And yet, they still worshiped God, giving Him the best of everything that they were and everything that they had every single day. So faith leads us to worship. It leads us to this inexpressible and glorious joy. It leads us to joy that doesn't make sense because our circumstances say that they shouldn't be that way. It leads us to have joy, not because of the things that we are facing or going through. It leads us to have joy because of who we are and whose we are. Joy that comes from who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And then Peter shares us the final results of our faith in verse 9. He says, For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The final result of our faith in Jesus The final result, the fact that he has bought us, that he has cleansed us, that he has fixed us, that he has repurposed us, is the salvation of our soul for all eternity. Our imperishable, undefiled, never fading inheritance. This everlasting, this never ending life without pain, without suffering, without death in God's presence for all eternity. Journey Church, I don't know what you are facing right now. I don't know what you have been going through right now. I don't know what you will go through soon. But what I do know is whose you are. Maybe your current suffering has been wearing you thin. Maybe you've been questioning your life or your faith your past, your identity, maybe your family situation has been weighing on you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you will go through, but I do know whose you are. You have been bought. You have been cleansed inside and out. You have been repurposed into something great. You, even though you don't live in a different country than what you were born, are exiles living in a foreign land because of your new identity in Jesus. You are now children of the Most High God. And the inheritance that lays out before you is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is never fading. It is a face-to-face relationship with the creator of the universe, God the Father. 
This is the foundation of our faith. This is the foundation for our relationships with other people. This is the foundation for our families, for our church, and for our very lives. Jesus has given us a new identity that's found in him. Friends, has he given you a new identity? Have you been cleansed? Have you been paid for? Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? If not, won't you come today? Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that we have a new identity in your son Jesus. We thank you that you have made us new, that you have cleansed us, that you have bought us, that you have repurposed us and given us the purpose that we were, that you originally created us for. Obedience to you. Father, our faith in your son Jesus leads us to worship you with everything that we are and everything that we have every single day. Our worship is our obedience to your word. It's to live lives that are pleasing to you. Father, we are, have so many messages pushed at us from around the world that tell us that we should find and choose what our own identity is. And Father, we need to be reminded constantly that our identity is found in your son, Jesus. We have been born again to a living hope through his sacrifice, through his resurrection. We thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit does to sanctify us daily. We have been justified by the blood of your Son and we have been transformed daily through your Holy Spirit and through your Word. Father, would you help us to remember the price that your son has paid for us and this new identity and purpose that he's given us. Help us to live as exiles even as we live in our own nation. Help us to live as your people who are different, who are changed, who are transformed. And Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that your son Jesus has made for us and we ask all this in his name. Amen.